listening to Good Heavens, a podcast about the universe. Then they set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and all the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether or not they will walk in my instruction. And it will come about on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the sons of Israel, At evening you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your grumblings against the Lord. And what are we that you grumble against us? That comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 16, verses 1 through 7. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. And a great multitude was following him, because they were seeing the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. And Jesus went up on the mount, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Jesus, therefore, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a great multitude was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread that these may eat? And this he was saying to test him. For he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, in number about five thousand. Jesus therefore took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated, likewise also of the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. When therefore the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is of a truth, the prophet who has come into the world. That is from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 1 through 15.
On June 30, 1908, eyewitnesses in central Siberia reported seeing a giant fireball, brighter than the sun, streak across the sky. A meteor with a force thousands of times more powerful than the atomic bomb dropped on Hiroshima exploded over an unpopulated forested region, leveling and burning a multitude of trees, but leaving no trace of an impact crater or any leftover debris. Russian scientists who later studied the enigmatic cosmic blast concluded the object exploded above the ground, with the shock waves causing the devastation. The intense power of the blast knocked over a man sitting on his porch over 30 miles away. Whether it be bread or an explosively powerful meteor, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the one who sends these heavenly signs to us to remind us of his power, his glory, his holiness, and his care for us. The heavens declare his righteousness. The Lord himself is judge. He was not pleased with the grumbling of the Israelites. In addition to bread, he also sent judgment against their murmuring and complaining. But in John's Gospel, we read that God comes down to us as one of us, not just bread or rocks, but the bread from heaven and the rock from whom came the water in the wilderness. In the person of Christ Jesus the Lord, we are fed and nourished, forgiven and redeemed for our grumbling and sin. part two of our discussion about meteors, Wayne and I look at how they impact us here on earth and how they can remind us of God's holiness, his judgment, and his glory, his care for us in Christ Jesus. We we are uh, we are mortal and we are vulnerable to impacts from space. Um, so there's evidence of impacts on on the Earth that, that happened in the past, and um, it's kind of frightening to think about the effects of these if it were to happen again. Yeah. Now scientists have a tendency to believe um, that. The thing that would be the likely end of life on Earth, if ever there was an end of all life on Earth, would probably be an impact from space, like a really big one. Uh, but I, I, I think we know that's not going to happen. Uh, if you believe the Bible, the Bible tells us the end from the beginning, okay? And it tells us what's going to happen, and it's not going to end that way. But it does, I think, there's... a place or two in the book of revelation where it talks about something that could be an impact impact from space it's an object called wormwood it's referred to in revelation mm. poisons the waters and mm. so that could very well be an impact from space but the you know for example um under chesapeake bay in virginia of the you know the coast of virginia there's a uh a there was an impact that made a crater that's over 50 miles in diameter. 
And, and if you if you look at the map on of Virginia along the coast, there's a peninsula it's called the Delmarva Peninsula. The end of that peninsula is just right about over the center of a big impact crater. And I wrote an article about this crater with a, someone else, and and we looked into the geology of it, and we concluded that you know we've talked about Noah's flood, Dan. And I I believe that that impact happened when it was sort of the later end of the latter part of the flood year, while the waters were running off the continent. This impact happens just off the coast. Uh, so you can tie this in with a lot of geology uh, and the history of the Earth and the Bible, and it actually all fits together. So there's a uh, there's a lot of people now who believe that. Uh, there were impacts happening uh, during Noah's flood, yeah. Because the rock, okay, we 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 look at these rock layers, sedimentary rocks that formed in Noah's flood, and and sometimes it's not sedimentary rock, so it can be volcanic rock too. Um, some of those have evidence of impacts in them, so that that they will have a remnant of a crater. Now, the re- a remnant of a crater, if it's not the whole crater, some of it's been destroyed, some of the crater might get melted or it might get washed away, uh, th- that's called an astroblem. Mm-hmm. An astroblem is the remnant of a crater. Okay. And uh, there's more of them than, the, than you might think. There's, there's um, one in the area of around Midland and Odessa, Texas. But it's uh, it's not something you would see just driving by, because um, uh, there's not that much left of it. And there's, you know, a number of states have some remnants of craters, but they're 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 not like real common, or they're not always they're not always visible from the surface. Right. Right. You have that uh, the one that's in the uh, Yucatan Peninsula. That was believed to happen uh, millions of years yes. ago. That they attribute to the extinction of uh, biological species on the planet. I can't pronounce the uh, the, uh, the chikulub. Uh, the chikulub. It's, it's pronounced chikulub. Chikulub. Okay, I was close. Chikulub, I believe. Yeah. Chikulub. So it's under the Yucatan Peninsula, and mm-hmm. some of it would be under the bay there. But it's uh, or it would. They think it would have been around a hundred or hundred fifty. Uh, kilometers in diameter, I think. Something like that. I've heard between 150 to 200 kilometers, which would be 100, 125 they, miles. Yeah, they used to say bigger, but they had to revise their numbers down. Uh, but anyway, they they relate that to the extinction of the dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. I, I think there's there's evidence of dinosaurs after that yeah. in the rock record. So uh, I don't I don't think that's a total explanation of the dinosaurs. But mm. anyway, impacts have happened, and sometimes they have kind of surprising uh, ways that they affect people. Uh, like, I I remember seeing a picture once of a of a pickup truck, Dan, where somebody uh, had a meteor meteorite come and hit their pickup, <laughs> and it, it sort of went through the front left fender, and it... And it pierced right through and went into the ground. So these are high-speed <laughs> objects. And if you can imagine a pickup with a big hole in the front end. <laughs> well, in the book we're going to be listing for everybody, uh, on page 46 of the Meteorite book that you and I have, um, there is a picture of a car 
that was hit in October of 1992 in uh, Peekskill, New York. It went through uh, a garage or something, and it and it nailed the back of this car. Uh, and the, the rock, the the people have the rock sitting on the trunk. It did some serious damage to that. And then just above that, there was a story from 1938 that uh, of a meteor that fell in um, Illinois that hit a building and a car. It fell through the roof of a garage and went into the car inside, passed through the floor of the car, and then bounced back and finally embedded itself in the back seat of the car. So a bouncing meteorite in 1938. So these things things can... uh, they, they they can do damage, uh, and I don't. I didn't do any research into see if anyone has ever been killed by a falling meteor, like a meteorite or a, a meteor. They would have been hit by something. I don't know what the statistics are on that, but uh, it's it's if if there are any, it's rare. If it's if it's happened at all, I don't know of any instances uh, where it happened. The one in Russia in 2013, uh, a thousand or so people were were injured by it, but uh, nobody was killed, as I understand it. So thankfully, as you say, um, there hasn't been too much in our time that has been too uh, too terribly catastrophic about it. But uh, there is these things fall to the ground all the time, as Psalm 19 says: "Day to day pours forth speech." And night unto night reveals knowledge. And uh, we might add to that speech and knowledge uh, rocks, <laughs> sand grains, <laughs> uh, that, that we are, we are, things are constantly coming in uh, from the heavens. And, and people, you know, Wayne, people dedicate their lives to the study of these wonderful uh, rocks. And I didn't know this, but it wasn't until the last 100 years or so, where, or 150, 200 years or so, where the debate was, you know, where did these come from? I mean, as course of as our astronomical technology has has become better and better, we've we've more understood these rocks. Um, but you know, before we had the advent of of astronomical technologies that we have today, people were debating for a long time, especially in the 18th centuries. You know, where if the moon and the Earth were a closed system, um, then then you would have to attribute all of the rocks that you see coming from the sky as part of the moon earth system that they were manufactured in the earth's atmosphere or they somehow came from the moon or a volcanic eruption on the moon or something. Um, but for a long time, people eschewed, you know, they, they, they dismissed the idea that these rocks were coming from uh, the solar system or even beyond the solar system. Modern research on the solar system has clarified it some, um, but I think there's still mysteries. Yeah, they are. Uh, so I think that, uh, Somehow when God created the solar system, there were a lot of small objects that are part of the process or left over from the process, you might say. Mm-hmm. And in the area between Mars and Jupiter, um, small objects get sort of pulled around, especially by Jupiter, and they end up in certain areas. Um, but uh, Small objects like this are easily uh, perturbed or moved, and their orbits are modified by the planets, and they sometimes collide. And so this that's kind of a, a element of chaos a little bit. Yeah, and then there was the um, the impact. It wasn't an impact. I think the 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 meteor exploded before it made impact. The Tungusta, the I think it's Tungusta. Yeah, Tunguska. It was nineteen nineteen oh eight. 1908 Uh, okay yeah people saw the fireball over siberia um but people went to explore the region after shortly after i think it was like uh 10 or 20 years later um a russian scientist 
took an expedition to the region to search for the leftovers. And uh, they, they found a circular grove of trees that had been blasted like a nuclear blast, just laying on its side and burned out. Yeah, but, so that's a very interesting case because it blew up in the atmosphere. Yeah. And it, it must have had, had a lot of uh, – it must have been fairly rocky and or, or it wouldn't have made it as far through the atmosphere. You know, it has to get through a lot of the atmosphere – to get into the lower atmosphere in order to cause that kind of damage like that one did. Mm-hmm. And so it must have been sort of rocky, but yet it had a lot of volatile material. It probably had a lot of organic material in it. And mm-hmm. when, once it got heated up, it exploded. Yeah. Well, so it exploded in the atmosphere. Now the blast from that, the air blast was the most powerful thing about it. Right. And that air blast circled the whole planet three times. Wow. It took three times around Earth's atmosphere for the blast to die out. Now, how do they know that? How did you? How, how did they come to that information? Uh, historical information about the effects uh, when they kind of cataloged what people... So they can catalog, they've cataloged things about where they were, how far they were away, and when it happened, you know the time uh, timeline of what happened. Mm. So I, I remember one example. There was a, somebody was uh, sitting on his porch in a rocking chair or something, and uh, uh, he was knocked over. And he was something like 70 kilometers away or something. You know, this was a long ways away. Wow. Um, wow. And it knocked, knocked him over. Oh, my goodness. Really? That's, so – even someone who couldn't have seen what happened um, could have could have been affected by that blast. It was so powerful. Wow. What there's a never been there's never been another air blast like this. That's incredible. It and makes, it, it it leveled the forest for some distance. Yeah, that's there's pictures of that you can see online. Um, it's just phenomenal. Um, so so Wayne, I want to circle back to faith. There I go again. This is like habitable and habitable. <laughs> it's I can't pronounce this name and I love mythology. Say it again for me. Uh Phaethon. Phaethon, like telethon. Yes. Except it's Phaethon. All right, now Phaethon. I'll remember it. All right. Yeah. So <laughs> I forget it again. Here I go. Um so Phaethon 3200, the believed source of the Geminid meteor shower. And uh, I, I, I want to make something of a biblical allusion to it. Now, I'm not saying this is what God intended it to be, right? I, I never want to do that because I don't know for sure. I'm just saying that here's what uh, Phaethon reminds me of. If you don't mind me telling a little story, do you don't mind? Do you mind? Go ahead. Sure, go ahead. <laughs> okay, so we established that Phaethon is the son of the sun god, in mythology, he's the son of Helios, right? Yes. And uh, the one of the the reason that asteroid was named Phaethon was because of how closely it travels to the sun, uh, around the sun. It's perihelion, and so that's why it got its name. And uh, as we mentioned earlier, um, astronomers believe it's too small or not significant enough to be producing the kind of meteor shower that you see with the Gemidids. So kind of a mystery associated with that. But here's what it reminds me of, Wayne. 
in John chapter six, what does, what's, what's Jesus doing? He's feeding the multitudes, right? <clears throat> and the disciples are like, where are we going to get money? Or how are we going to feed these people, right? How are we going to feed the multitude? Now, Jesus knew what he was going to do, but he's testing, he's testing his disciples. <laughs> and he asks them, and when Philip says, uh, look, 200 denarii worth of bread is not enough to feed these people. Where are we going to get all that, you know, right? And, um, and then Peter goes, Peter says, hey, Lord, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these for so many people, right? So here you have the son of God with just a few things. And what does Jesus do? He tells everyone to sit down. He says, have the people sit down. And Jesus took the loaves and having giving thanks. And there's another version where he says he looks up to heaven uh, and he gives thanks. And having distributed to those who were seated, likewise, of the fish, as much as they wanted. So, Wayne, Jesus made five loaves and two small fish. Let me say that again because a car just went by. Jesus made five loaves and two fish sufficient for a multitude. The Son of God producing more food than the disciples or anyone else could have imagined. And get this, here it comes. Then Jesus commands them, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. And how much fragments did they gather? Twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. When therefore the people had saw the sign, this is, this is the sign, right? The sign, the Samion, John says which he had performed, they said, this is of a truth, the prophet who is to come into the world. And so from this tiny little bunch of food, a multitude is fed and the world knows, at least these people did, this, this is something else. What is, what is this? And what does it instantly remind them of, of, of a prophet, of someone who has come into the world who is not of this world, right? And 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 so it's it's interesting too. So these little fragments from Phaethon that we see, no, excuse me, these little fragments that we see from Phaethon are to me reminders of the fragments that are taken up uh, at the miraculous feeding of of the five thousand with the little loaves and fish. So when I see the Geminids, I think of God's wonderful provision wonderful, miraculous provision. How can he make so much come out of so little? Well, he's the son of God. And uh, I think that's encouraging for our own lives because God can take whatever small things that we have, right? He's always saying, oh, ye of little faith. And then he turns around and he, he's not flattering when he says, when he calls us ye of little faith. And then he tells us we only need a grain of mustard seed like faith. <laughs> Apparently we don't even have that most of the time. <laughs> But he right. said, with just a little faith, look, uh, you, I, I will, through you, through your faith, I will do these wonderful things if you just have faith. And, and so I think that's the lesson for me, biblically, from Phaethon and the Geminids. How can so much come from so little, from this little thing? Uh, well, Jesus is the rock, as Paul says 
in in one of his letters that, that Jesus was the rock from which the water flowed in uh, in the desert in, in Israel in the wilderness in Sinai. So um, so anyway, that's my little biblical allusion to asteroids or meteors, and uh, that's what that's what they remind me of in some sense. Yeah. So we we often think of a lot of things we do are as insignificant, but God uh, honors our faith, and um, he he can. Uh, make good come from the little efforts we de- we have absolutely uh, and that's that's the point that I think um, you know that we yes our time on earth is brief and we are we are like the dust we come from dust but God can take our dust and make it shine uh, in in the momentary time that he's given us on on this earth to do his will and uh, you know like Jesus says to Abram in uh, Genesis fifteen five, your descendants will be like the stars in the heavens, uh, in, in for for the multitude, uh, like the sand grains in the sea. That uh, God takes what is little and unknown and and makes it into something glorious for for His glory. And so there's there's not any of us who who as Christians are not doing important things. We are, uh, we are all doing something for the kingdom of the, of the heavens for Jesus and um, meteors can, can remind us and encourage us. You know, the other thing too, Wayne, it's just the pure aesthetic beauty and the peace that you have in sharing the beauty of a night sky and just watching the meteorites and the meteors and just thinking of God's glory. It's a very relaxing, very calming uh, thing to be able to, uh, to enjoy that spectacle. Yeah, and in, Dan, I've always thought it would be really neat to discover a meteor, to find one. And there used to be a TV show uh, for about meteor hunters, but I don't think it's on TV anymore. Um, and some people get a big thrill out of you know spending time and finding them, and they sometimes use metal detectors because uh, – a lot of them have uh, nickel or iron in them, and they are somewhat magnetic, but not all of them. So hunting for meteors, or meteorites, I should say, is uh, another pastime that people get very interested in. Uh, it's just kind of interesting and, and kind of neat to think that an object you found was well, was in space, and uh, now it's on the Earth, and it's a sort of a reminder of bigger, bigger things. You know that uh, we are uh, we are one planet. There's a lot more out there in the universe, and now and then we get a little piece of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know that's it's interesting you say because we were we we're talking about all this stuff coming to Earth. These beautiful rocks coming to Earth, landing for us to explore. Um, it all points back to Christ who is in the heavens, who has come down to earth and lived among us, and he will once again return. And I think um, at some generation, Wayne is going to look up and see not a meteor returning, but the son of God returning. I don't know if we'll see it in our lifetime or it's another hundred years or another thousand years. I don't know. But uh, one generation, uh, Jesus says, this is a truism. One generation is going to look up and see the son of man returning with power and great glory in the clouds. And, uh, and I think meteors right. and stars and the heavens and all of that can remind us of, of who Jesus is. And that's ultimately what we try to do with good heavens here is to, to say, well, how can I go out and look at the stars and think of God at the same time? What, 
how can I meditate on this? What, what lessons can I learn from what God has revealed to us in nature? And you remember what the Bible says in Genesis, that God created the heavens for what, Wayne? For signs and for seasons and for days. Signs and seasons, days and years. Days and years. And so there's never a time when there aren't signs going on above your house. Uh, get yourself out to a dark sky and look at these things and look at these signs and reflect upon them, meditate on them, and think about how much God cares for you and, and what he knows of you, what we read in Isaiah a few minutes ago about his care for you. If he guides the courses of the stars, you know, he, he cares about you and guides your course. Uh, whether you turn to the right or to the left, Isaiah says elsewhere, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And so God is our good shepherd. He's the shepherd of the stars. If he can shepherd and name all the stars, he can shepherd you and lead you into the paths that will bring him the most glory. So uh, hopefully our episodes encourage you in that way. So Wayne, um, what else can we, can we kind of running out of time here? Um, but uh, what else would you like to conclude with about meteors? Um, I would say um, these are kind of an interesting thing to study. And, um, but God is in control of what happens to the earth and history will move toward the end that God has predicted that it uh, the end of things are is not going to be from a random impact. It's going to be it's going to play out the way God has planned it, and um, that's an important thing to keep in mind. So history will re- resolve and end with the events that the Bible describes about Jesus' return. And uh, I don't think the Earth's beginning was an accident, and I don't think its end is going to be an accident. Um, so I think that's important and from a biblical view of things. Yeah. But but in the meantime, there's a lot of interesting things to learn from meteorites and from our solar system. And I think we're we're always I'm always reminded of how special the Earth is, and we have a wonderful place to learn about the universe and learn about uh, our solar system and different planets. And um, that's uh, always been fascinating to me. Yeah, it is. It is. uh, It's not that, and that's the thing, Wayne, it's not that, Oh, we think God did it all. And and therefore that, that stifles exploration of the universe. No, I think it, it really motivates exploration, but what it should do is it should change our assumptions sometimes so that we learn to look at things in a more biblical way. And I don't think that's contrary to science. I think that actually helps you come to the right answers in science. Right. Absolutely. That you, you understand, um, you will have more insight into the science of the universe if you are engaged in a relationship with the one who created it. It, it makes sense, doesn't yes. it? Logically, if, mm-hmm. if you're in tune with the Lord. Um, he will give you great insight, as he did uh, to to James Clerk Maxwell, for example, who is the one is credited for discovering that uh, light and magnetism are basically the same thing, you know. And uh, all the great saints of, of astronomical lore who had relationships with God, uh, Johannes Kepler, Johannes Kepler, as you know, you have a whole chapter in our book about that. So being in tune with Jesus, having a personal relationship with Christ, with the one who made the universe gives you that ability to, you know, you're not going to, that's not a guarantee you're going to solve all the mysteries, right? Uh, there's obviously a domain of creation 
that remains veiled from our understanding and always will be, but it is nevertheless fun to explore. We are not going to exhaust our knowledge uh, of the universe. There's no way that we're ever going to come to a point where we know everything. Uh, there will be continued generations of people exploring the cosmos as long as Jesus is, tarries in his return. Correct. So, yeah, so we have, uh, we appreciate your patronage and we thank you so much for listening to Good Heavens. Wayne, did you know this month, by the way, and it totally slipped my mind, I just now remembered it. You know what September is for Good Heavens, don't you? It's our anniversary. Anniversary, you know how many years it's been? I can't believe this. Four years, right? Four. Who knew in 2017 that we would be still chatting about the universe four years later? Yeah, we're, we're still <laughs> at it. Yeah, well, I got we got uh, our Cosmos book came out of it. We've had many wonderful guests on our show over the years. And um, by the grace of the Lord and for his glory, we will continue as long as he allows and so thank you for being a part of good heavens if you are a a regular supporter and have been with us from the beginning or if you're just joining us for the first time there are lots of episodes to explore uh if you go back to our earliest episodes you can hear me doing a fake british accent (laughs) Uh, good heavens a podcast about the universe with wayne and dad right that's the older episodes. yes and we had various beginnings in the the early (laughs) programs Yes, we did. We did. We did. So, uh, but we love talking about this stuff and uh, I'll continue to talk about it as long as uh, the Lord allows. I really enjoy it. And uh, so get you together uh, a Geminid party and go out and find some dark skies and uh, look, look, uh, hopefully and pray for good weather this year and uh, make a little Geminid party. Stay up late, make pizza, hot chocolate, whatever, and, uh, and watch the Geminids this year and reflect on the glory of God. Wayne, we need to do that again this year, uh, do a Geminid party. Hopefully the weather will hold. Yeah. And, uh, we, we could go out to my uh, secret dark, dark sky spot and uh, maybe take in some hot chocolate and Geminids if the weather is good. That would be fun. Uh-huh. Uh, so anyway, Wayne, uh, we will see you again next time right here on... Good Heavens. Good Heavens.